we need to be very careful about the things that we share online, the things that we read online, uh, because those things are often not only put up to inform us, but to also form us. So this idea of misinformation, disinformation, fake news, conspiracy theories um, is something that should very much matter to Christians because we're a people of the truth. Truth isn't something that's convenient. It isn't something that's politically expedient. It's not socially expedient. It's not about what it does for me. In a, an age that's causing us to go faster, 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 we need to slow down and ask some of the hard questions and realize we don't have to tweet or share or post a video about every single thing we think. Welcome to WWJT a podcast where we try to figure out how to use tech how Jesus would if he lived in our day. We are joined today not only by Joel, who's always with me, and myself, Andrew, um, but we're joined by Jason Thacker. As a bit of background, Jason serves as the Chair of Research and Technology Ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. His work has been featured at Christianity Today, Slate, Politico, The Gospel Coalition, and Desiring God. He is also the author of The Age of AI, which is behind me, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. But he's here to talk today about his latest book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age. Uh, thanks, Jason, for writing this book, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, pleasure. Um, now, I'm interested in what led you to writing this book. Why write a book on the need of this digital age and following Jesus in the midst of it. But even working backwards from that, you have released over a hundred episodes speaking about technology. Originally your podcast, I think it was called Weekly Tech. Mm -hmm. What yeah. led to you getting interested in technology? Like how did that start? Yeah. So I kind of growing up, I was surrounded by tech. I'm a little old to say that because uh, most of the time my, my generation we, re we got the internet or computers, you know, middle school, kind of early high school and things like that. Uh, but my dad actually worked for a Fortune 500 tech company. And so from the moment I remember, we've had the we had the Internet and we had computers and I'm talking, you know, two and three and four or five years old. I remember having these devices in our home um, and my dad was always kind of techie. And so I actually picked up the hardware side, not so much the software side. Like so I could strip down a computer. I could run DOS. I could do all that fun stuff. And always had an interest in tech um, and specifically computer technology. Um, but it wasn't until I became a believer. I, I didn't become a believer till a little bit later in life at 18 years old. I went on to college, started serving in college ministry, started falling in love with the local church. And then went on to seminary because I was feeling the Lord was calling me into pastoral ministry. And through a lot of kind of twists and turns, uh, the Lord had a very clear path for me. And I ended up here at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, we are the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and what that means is that we focus on a host of social, political, and ethical issues kind of across the board. Uh, but while serving on staff here, specifically in the communications team, I started doing a lot more reading and just writing. Um, because of my seminary training, kind of theological and ethical training, along with some of my passion in technology, I picked up some books and specifically one called Homo Deus. Um, and for listeners' sake, that means the the man or the God man. Um, and it's written by uh, an author named Yuval Noah Harari. And he has the best subtitle of anybody's book. And I totally wish I would have gotten this before he did. <laughs> uh, but he calls it A Brief History of Tomorrow. And he's basically saying, based on where we are, based on the technological advances we have today, this is where we're heading. 
And he doesn't say if we're heading this way or maybe some of these things will happen. He's pretty clear cut saying this. These are the type of things that are happening. And it was that book that kind of opened up my mind and it bridged these two worlds of theology and ethics along with technology and kind of brought them together. And I actually just wrote an article about it, just kind of responding to Harari's argument. Um, it probably wasn't very good, so I don't encourage listeners to go find it. Um, but that was my kind of first kind of soiree kind of um, uh, path into a lot of these questions. And the more I read, the more I wrote, the more I wrote, the more I read. And it kind of started to snowball um, into two projects, specifically the one that you have there, The Age of AI, which is my first book, uh, focusing on artificial intelligence and the future of humanity. And through writing that book, along with a larger project on ethical principles of AI, I started to realize there's just so much more here than the church often thinks about in terms of technology, in terms of ethics and discipleship and what it looks like to be authentically Christian in a very digital age, a very connected age. And that's really the story of this book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, was looking at kind of the landscape of how Christians are engaging a lot of these big questions and to say, you know, we're being we're being in many ways discipled by our technologies uh, constantly. We always have our iPhone or our watch or some form of technology within a few feet of us or not. Maybe even we're wearing it all the time. And we're constantly connected. And people have talked a lot about this, about the idea of always being connected. But one of the things that I thought was missing from some of the, the conversation was we often talk about like tips and tricks to kind of write your relationship with technology. And I wanted to step back and say, what's really going on here? What is technology? How is it forming and shaping us? And in what ways is it doing that? Rather than just focusing on, you know, here are five or 10 ways to have a better relationship or spend less time on your iPhone. And all of those things are helpful and good, but to kind of unearth some of the more base level questions. And that's really the, the premise of this book is to say, what is technology? How is it forming and shaping us in many ways, discipling us? And in what ways is it doing that? And how do we see that playing out um, in terms of misinformation and fake news or the kind of the curation environment that we live in or at questions of identity and platform and influencer and all of those type of things? Uh, to say, how how as Christians do we engage and navigate the digital age in which we inhabit and do so with biblical wisdom? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and you use tech clearly both in writing a book and then selling it. I'm sure yeah. there is a process of using technology in that. Even I saw um, as you're distributing the book, there was like a, a, a journal, a devotional through the version Bible app. Um, so I went through that. I found that helpful. Kind of interesting to to use technology Bibles on your phone. I don't know. Do you use your Bible on your phone very often, Jason? Is it that a bad thing? I Is do. A good thing? And that's the thing. I think we often, when we approach technology, ask that question. Well, is this mm -hmm. good or bad or is it neutral? And what I wanted to say is that's actually, it's none of the above. It's not good. It's not all good. It's not all bad. And it's definitely not neutral. And so I wanted to kind of reframe the way that we talk about technology is it's not just a tool that we're using and that we choose to use in particular ways, but it's actually it's very much a tool that exists within kind of a larger culture that's also in many ways using us. It's shaping and forming us in ways that are often really radical, but they're also very subtle, meaning we may not totally understand the way that technology is shaping us, which is why I wrote the book. Um, but I'm very pro-technology. 
I'm very much a technology optimist, you can say. Um, but I'm also a realist in saying what's actually going on here, because it isn't just the ways we use technology. It's also the ways that people design technology, developers, coders, uh, those that are technologists themselves. And to say, what does it look like to be authentically Christian as a developer, as, as a tool creator, not just a tool user? And kind of let's step back and examine some of the larger cultural questions that we're facing, not as isolated issues, but actually kind of tied back into this idea of technology and how it's shaping and forming our culture, and in particular, us as individuals. And I like how you use, even use the term that dis, it disciples us, um, which when I first read that on the pages, I was like, oh, it disciples us? That's interesting. That's a mm -hmm. different way of thinking about technology. Can you help us understand what you mean by technology discipling us? Yeah. I mean, essentially, the idea of discipleship is that we're all being formed and shaped into particular types of people with everything we do, whether it's as a Christian or a non-Christian. Um, Romans 12, Romans 12, 2, we read Paul writes, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what he's essentially saying there is you are being shaped. You are being conformed, whether it's to the image of the world or the, to the image of Christ. Um, as a Christian or a non-Christian, we are all being shaped and formed by the things we do, the patterns we have, the habits we have, the people we spend time around, the things we do. And it kind of hit home for me, especially on social media, was I've noticed, especially as of late, but it's, it probably has been much longer than that. Um, I grow more anxious, more uh, frustrated and kind of short tempered the more I spend time on social media. Now, does that mean that social media is evil and we should all get rid of it? I don't think so. I think there are God glorifying uses of these technologies and these tools. Um, and maybe for certain individuals, they should get off of these completely. Others maybe need to manage their time better. Uh, maybe it's to have better curated lists and not to follow and engage certain things or to have certain limits. And this is really the nature of wisdom, uh, which we'll obviously get to later. But uh, the idea isn't just a checklist that kind of is a one size fits all approach. It's to say, no, who are you? What are your tendencies? What are your vices? Um, what are the ways that you're tempted that are unique to you? And thinking about which, how to use technology better within kind of a wisdom framework rather than just a rule-based framework, which is really kind of getting at the heart of Christian ethics. Um, but all that to say is that I just noticed that the way I was using technology, it hit home specifically when my son – so we have two boys. Um, I have a four-year-old and a five-year-old. Well, my five-year-old was probably three or four. I remember sitting in our living room playing with him. And I was distracted. I mean, I'm not going to argue. I'm some perfect dad and never distracted by any means. Um, but I had intentionally placed my phone in the other room, um, not wanting to be distracted by it. And at one point, he got up and walked into the other room, got my phone and brought it to me. Now, at four and five years old, he really doesn't understand um, in some sense what he was doing. And maybe he just thought, you know, daddy needs his phone or whatever. But I it, to me, it hit me right at the heart and said, he sees me on this device all the time and he expects me to have it with me. And that was really kind of, uh, it hit home for me because I was saying, man, not only is it shaping and forming me, but it's even shaping the way that my kids view me and understand me and it's shaping my kids and their interactions with my wife and I and uh, their kind of extended family and to say, okay, whoa, 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 let's slow down here. 
what is technology? It's not just an isolated tool. It's not just an individualistic tool, my iPhone, my watch, my computer, et cetera. It actually exists within, I think, a much larger framework and a much larger culture, uh, which we inhabit, that is very much shaping us. It's making us, um, as Jacques Ellul, who's a figure I talk about in the first chapter a good bit, talks about how um, technology is driving us all towards more efficiency, speed, better, faster, more information. Um, he talks a lot about this idea of efficiency and how that's really the major goal of all technology is to make things easier, faster, more convenient. And it's to say, is that actually good for us? Um, is that the way God created us? And how do we think about that? Is everything just to be more efficient? Um, or are there things that actually are to be, were to slow down and that are very inefficient? And I think one of the things about the Christian life, especially in terms of wisdom, is it isn't gained overnight. Um, it is in none of the habits and patterns that we have with technology that wasn't gained overnight. It was gained over a long period of time. And very similarly to write our relationship with technology, it's also going to take a very long time. And that's really kind of cultivating this wisdom tradition that we're talking about. Yeah, I really appreciated, you know, a lot of the points you touched on very, you know, thoughtful insights, you know, on discipleship, I think it evoked something for me in my understanding on how technology is designed. So yeah, if you yeah. think about uh, a door in public, industrial designers consider something called affordances. So if it's a flat metal sheet, you're more likely to push. If it's a, a device you can grab, you're more likely to pull. So, you know, just like in this physical world, hardware world, there's same sort of thought process happens in the software mm -hmm. world where user designers are thinking about that. And it's Good to point out for people who may not know that someone is thinking about how the design of this technology, the design of this product will tap on certain inclinations you have as a human being and cause you to move down a certain way. Um, and, and it may not always be efficiency in the truest sense of the word, but definitely there's thought into how can we improve things along one axis, one metric or multiple metrics. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I wanted to mention is the book really functions well as a discipleship tool. I really like that. You know, a lot of small groups can look at it, read it, go through it together. And I think that's uh, really valuable. Um, there's one point of clarity I'm curious about. Um, in the sense of, you know, following Jesus in a digital age, um, for me coming from a technology background, my first thought is like, okay, what's digital versus analog? Yeah. Um, is that kind of what you were going by uh, or aiming for when you mentioned digital or how would you define like digital age? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And um, I'll step back to say I was also very intentional about saying a digital age. Um, a lot of times I even my publisher was like, oh, so it's following Jesus and the digital age. And I said, no, it's a digital age. And I was very intentional about that because um, it's very easy for us to kind of live in the moment and think that this is the most unique time in human history. And that's true in some sense. We have opportunities. We have uh, technologies that didn't exist before. But I think often when we think about technology, we often think about it as kind of this new and cutting edge as if past generations have nothing to teach us. Um, older books have nothing to teach us. And I actually sometimes think the older books are actually the ones that see our situation more clearly than we do because we're kind of um, enamored in the culture that we inhabit. And we're, we have certain blind spots, just like every generation has. But other generations, past generations can sometimes see through 
and see to the blind spots that we have today. So, you know, uh, readers will know throughout the book, I reference Jacques Ellul. Well, Jacques Ellul died in 1994. He wrote his major work in technology in the 50s that wasn't translated to English in this until the 60s. I reference folks like C.S. Lewis. I reference folks like uh, Lewis Mumford or uh, some others like George Grant that are much older figures that really predated what we call the digital age. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm mainly talking about kind of computer digital technology. So not just analog in the sense of um, analog phones, but really kind of the digitization of all of our society. So it is social media, but it's also much more than that. And one of the reasons I make that distinction and try to make that distinction is when we think about technology, it's easy for us to kind of go to one kind of area and say, oh, it's social media. That's the problem. Well, yeah, there are a lot of problems maybe there, and we need to address those things. But again, it's not an isolated tool. It's not an isolated app. It's actually part of a much larger framework in which we inhabit. So one of the things I've done, I did in the first book, and I specifically was trying to do in this book as well, is to say, a lot of the problems we face today we think are unique to our age, and in some sense they are, like we already said. But reality, I think technology causes us not to ask new questions of humanity per se, but to ask these age-old questions in what I say is the in light of new opportunities. Or to put it another way, we're asking the same, very same type of questions at their core that we've always asked as humanity. We're just doing it today in a way we have more opportunity, we have more connectivity, we have more information at our fingertips than past generations may have had in their entire lifetime. Um, and so there are unique opportunities with that. There are also unique challenges that come along with that. And so it all kind of comes back to is that technology is not good per se. It's not just bad or bad, or nor is it really neutral. Um, because it is forming and shaping us in particular ways. Um, but technology is also a good gift from God. And so that kind of puts me at odds sometimes when you yeah. think about technology, and especially the way um, maybe the church responds to technology historically, is to say, no, these are good gifts from God. But they're also shaping the way we view who God is. They're shaping the way we view yeah. ourselves. And they're particularly shaping the way that we view the world around us. And so kind of recovering what I say is the Christian ethic, which is really summed up in Jesus's words in Matthew 22, is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the core of the ethic of the Christian ethic. That's, you know, it's the great commandment and the great commission. Well, the great commission is go therefore and make disciples. Well, what does it mean to make a disciple? It's to call them to love God and to love their neighbor as their self. That's really the core of, you know, what it means to be not only a Christian, but also to make disciples. And so when I, I use that language of discipleship to challenge, hopefully, the church and to even challenge myself to think more broadly about the way technology is shaping me and to start to think about how and not only that it is shaping me, but to what end and to what purpose, uh, what's the goal, what's the purpose. Um, and I think we just need to be a lot more thoughtful about that and kind of take this more wisdom approach uh, to how we navigate some of these challenges today. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a it's a good point that the digital age, as you mentioned, with like digitization and, and computers is really what it unlocked is that analog signals were like a continuous electrical signals like record players. But now when you're able to uh, discreetly have different electrical levels, 
it converts into, uh, for the viewers and listeners who don't know, binary, which is the ones and zeros, which is how mm -hmm. kind of computers communicate. So the key point there is that it just really tapped this opportunity to send information a lot more and higher bandwidth and higher amounts. Um, and that is is really a lot of what the impact has happened to what we say in the tech world is we're building on the shoulders of giants. So what this invention that happened before now allows someone else to develop another feature on top of that because yeah. it unlocks a new a new um, technology branch. Um, so I think, yeah, that's it's, um, a good point to contextualize. What does it mean to be in a in a digital age? Mm -hmm. So a couple of days ago, I'm, I'm at church staff meeting. I'm talking to the youth pastor. And I ask him, so are you on TikTok? Are, are the students on TikTok? How's that going as one example of this digital moment that we're in? And he talked about how he didn't want to go on TikTok, even though he knew so many students and kids and teenagers were on it, because he didn't want to give the impression that it was a platform that was good, mm -hmm. that his mere presence on it would have maybe destructive you know, characteristics on the people that weren't on TikTok and that he he wanted to keep them away from TikTok um, was his perspective. And I, and I think I agree. I'm, I'm curious, you know, on one hand, you seem to say there's these destructive elements to social media. On the other hand, you know, you, you, you stay away from giving these rules, as you say, you know, let's not have a rule approach. You never say TikTok is wrong, never use it. Um, but I'm always kind of wrestling with this if Paul became a Jew to the Jews mm -hmm. to save the Jews like a Jew, if he became like a Gentile to save the Gentiles, should we not become like a TikTok user to save the TikTok users? Should we not try to enter into these spaces, even though their algorithms are going to push us into more distraction than more disciplined, responsible engagement? Yeah. And I think that's a really good question. And we could have a whole kind of episode about TikTok. So I have very particular thoughts about TikTok, not just the the amazing content algorithm uh, yeah. that TikTok utilizes. It's, it's absolutely fascinating um, how quickly it learns and how quickly it starts to force and kind of shape you in very particular ways, in many ways, kind of sending you down um, at times can be very destructive paths. Um, and also or very sexualized paths or kind of often very much shaping the worldview of someone, especially younger users. We've seen that a lot around sexuality issues, um, how TikTok is forming and shaping kind of the ways that teenagers uh, view themselves, but also the way they kind of view the world around them and how they understand who they are, uh, which really gets back to that core question, that I think, is really the most operative question of all issues of technology and really just all issues of just ethics in general is most, if not all of the major political, social and cultural issues we deal with today are actually getting back to this core question of what does it mean to be human? Uh, what is a human being? And the scriptures are very clear that we're image bearers of the almighty God. Um, we are created according to the image, and that very image is Jesus Christ himself. That's what Hebrews tells us. Um, and so we're created according to that image, and even though we rebel in our unrighteousness, we exhibit and we reflect God in very particular ways, Christians and non-Christians both. Um, and there's an element of common grace there. So while we don't have to go down that whole kind of rabbit trail on that whole path, um, one of the reasons that I don't give specific rules to say, well, TikTok is bad and Twitter good or Twitter bad and TikTok bad and all bad or all good is because I don't think that that takes in the level of complexity and nuance to these discussions. Um, while I have 
more trepidation and kind of issues maybe with TikTok because of some of the connections with the Chinese Communist Party and the way that kind of China operates and specifically the access to data that they have. And again, that's a whole nother podcast we could talk about. Um, there are certain things with that particular platform that I'm a little bit more fearful of. Um, by and large, I, I hear that like, and that's it's a wisdom approach for maybe for you it's you're more it's easy it's good for you maybe it's or it's a good outlet or something like that or maybe it's a good place that you can do ministry uh, for others maybe it's not a good place um, there's going to be a time and this happens for all of us that you're going to kind of get used to and kind of stuck in your ways and you're not going to be able to figure it out I remember this happened with uh, an old app called Meerkat when Meerkat came out I had literally no idea how to use it. Um, I really tried and I even tried to use Snapchat and I'm probably dating myself for some people here, uh, but I tried Snapchat, couldn't figure it out, like just couldn't do it. And for me, my preferred platform is Twitter. But even then with Twitter, it's starting to kind of wear on me and starting to say, well, maybe it's shaping me in ways that are not very godly. Maybe it's shaping me in ways that aren't very – it's not very good for me. And so I'm trying to kind of reevaluate some of my habits and kind of the ways that I use these technologies. But again, it always comes back to wisdom um, because there, for it, wisdom is not just – here's a set of rules. And I think the scriptures do give us clear sets of rules about what it means to be a Christian and to live a Christian life, especially in the midst of a very um, kind of – at times very toxic, but also very polarized and kind of fractured society that we live in today. And there are particular rules, but the Christian ethic is much more than just a set of rules. It's also about the type of people we're becoming, um, that not only are becoming more like Christ, we're be, um, that as the body of Christ, we're becoming more like Christ in that process of sanctification. Um, but there's also this idea of um, kind of growing in Christ likeness and becoming more like him. It's almost like a very virtue oriented approach. So there, there are certain virtues that we and kind of encapsulate and kind of uh, develop over time. So I say all that to say is that there's not just a set, maybe a specific set of rules um, because we need people on various platforms, but maybe it's not wise for me or for you or for the listeners to be on various things. Maybe you have to kind of, you need to step back and understand yourself, but to really understand yourself, you have to kind of step back and evaluate the culture in which we inhabit. And again, getting back to some of those core questions that we mentioned earlier, what is technology? Whenever I ask my students that, I'll say, what is technology? Almost inevitably, I get smartphones, computers. I'll have one, you know, one or two students who want to be real kind of cutesy about it and they say, oh, the printing press. And I'm like, yes, and amen. The printing press actually probably has had a greater in influence and shaping effect on all of society than any of the computer technologies we have today. Now, granted, it is, as you mentioned earlier, Joel, it's where these technologies are built on the shoulders of giants. They're built on those technologies that came before, and it kind of perpetuates this cycle. Uh, but I say all that to say is that, you know, in the 1600s, 1700s, they thought they were in a very technological age. Now, they <laughs> meant something a little different than we mean with technology today, but it's all technology. It's all the ways that God has gifted us and created us to be able to create certain things, to aid us in our work, to help us to do to do things easier or better or maybe more efficient in some ways. And so it's not all bad, but it's also not all good. 
And so I just think we have to kind of cultivate some wisdom and some habits and start to evaluate what type of person do we want to become and what do we need to be able to get there? What kind of habits and patterns do we need to cultivate in our life? And I think that's a much better approach. And I think a a wise approach to technology rather than just saying, you know, it's all good, it's all bad or become all things to all people. Because if you use that logic and take it too far, um, does that mean I need to become like some dirty sinner because the, everybody else is like, I just need to kind of in, invest in the world and be part of the world? No, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That transformation is a new life in Christ, but also becoming more like Christ in that process of sanctification throughout the process of discipleship. So as, as one of my pastors have said, and I've said throughout the book as well, um, the question isn't, are you being discipled? Yes, you are, regardless of if you're a Christian or not, is who is doing that discipleship and to what end or what purpose are you being discipled? And I think that's really the operative question that Christians need to be asking today in the digital age. Yeah, and that that approach, because throughout, I found it helpful just to reflect on, because you have these probing questions throughout the book, and it's like, oh man, like that that one hits me more or this one hits me more or whatever it is you go through and you reflect on, wow, you know, maybe I am leaning in this direction too much. And so for me, there is a conviction there. There is something there that God's doing and my conscience with the Holy Spirit's help to, to correct me. Um, I, I think, you know, Every Christian, though, needs to pursue those principles. I like how you put it. You have those three main sections of your book, pursuing truth, pursuing responsibility, pursuing identity, um, and and in contrast to pursuing truth in a post-truth age, pursuing responsibility in a curated age, pursuing identity in a polarized age. Um, Obviously, people have to buy the book and read it to unpack each one of those things. I think I was most surprised by the truth aspect, this Mm That this is a this is actually an issue that we need to think about. You talk about disinformation, misinformation, fake news. And sometimes I think as Canadians, Joel and I, we think of, oh, fake news, that's an American problem. <laughs> Almost. You know, it's like, oh, Trump and different people on the left and right, they're so bad. Um, now I don't agree with that. I think that there's there's fake news in Canada too. Um, I'm not here to ask you whether or not um fake news is a Canadian issue, but I am <laughs> interested in why you think it's a Christian issue. Yeah. Well, I think especially in a Western context, specifically in a context of the United States, it was a pretty visceral issue for us, especially as the Christian church, um, because there was a lot of misinformation. There had been a lot of conspiracy theories, had been a lot of fake news uh, peddled. And this is not just an issue on the right, the political right in America, nor is it just an issue on the political left in America. It's really an issue in which we all face um, in which we're all being shaped and formed. Um, That's part of, again, that larger culture of technology that I'm talking about. Um, And I I always joke to say, a lot of people say, oh, well, I guess those are some new issues that we're kind of facing. I'm like, ah, not really. I mean, if I really want to get down to it, I, I you really can say that the first misinformation, or I think it's actually disinformation, that intent aspect, that's something I kind of try to unpack in that chapter, um, about the intentionality makes it disinformation. Um, the first disinformation was really the serpent in the garden and the serpent coming to Eve and presenting to her a false reality to say, you're not like God. And if you want to be like God, you'll eat of this fruit and then you'll be able to be like God. Well, the the misinformation or the disinformation, the lie in that is that she already was like God. 
she was created in his image. She was her and Adam and Eve were the two unique image bearers of the almighty God. They were very much like God, uh, much more than even the serpent was like God or anything else in creation. And so he told her a fault, a lie, a false reality to manipulate her to do something that he wanted, which was to rebel against God and to kind of spit in the face of God and to see that relationship, that perfect relationship broken. And that's one of the reasons that I bring in uh, the figure Jacques Ellul again, especially in that chapter. So he's kind of prominent throughout the first chapter, helping us to understand what is technology. And then the next chapter, uh, Ellul is really helpful to kind of point out this idea of misinformation, disinformation. Now, he doesn't utilize that terminology because it's that's a little bit newer in some sense that came after his death. But really, the heart of this is propaganda. And that sounds like a really like we can kind of almost feel like there's almost like a visceral reaction when you talk about propaganda because propaganda is bad. What is it doing? It's distorting reality for a particular purpose. Well, guess what? Politics, governments, individuals, corporations, business have always done this. Uh, this is not new per se. Propaganda has been from the very beginning almost um, all the way up to today. But there's a difference in a digital age because of the speed and the ability to reach that you never had before. Um, so I could I could speak a lie, you know, 25 years ago, and maybe my family would know it, maybe my community, maybe my church, but it really wouldn't spread out of about a five or 10 mile radius, very likely, unless I had some big platform on the radio or on TV or a newspaper. But even then there was kind of limited reach. But now in the matter of minutes, whether it's cancel culture or whether it's going viral online or being influencer online, it's pretty easy to share my often uninformed, often uh, not uh, very well thought out uh, beliefs or ideas or thoughts with as many people uh, that I can get to follow me. Or if for some reason I have no followers and I share something, it can go viral. Um, and so there's just the the uh, speed and the ability to reach more people than we've ever had before. And so this idea of misinformation, dif disinformation, fake news, conspiracy theories um, is something that should very much matter to Christians because we're a people of the truth. Uh, truth isn't something that's convenient. It isn't something that's politically expedient. It's not socially expedient. It's not about what it does for me. Um we're a people of the truth, even when it's seemingly inconvenient. And I'm that's important that I'm saying seemingly there, that it's seemingly inconvenient because we worship the God of truth, the God of reality, the God who created us, the God who is the creator of the world, who created us in his image and created this world for a particular purpose. Uh, so when Christians engage a lot of these political and social issues of the day, we don't have to hide behind the truth. Uh, we don't have to manipulate the truth or use the truth. We can let the truth, let the light shine, let the light mm -hmm. shine in the darkness, because in the reality, we we know that what we believe is actually true. Now, that doesn't mean that people are going to accept it, but what it does mean is that we stand behind the truth because we follow the, the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus talks about himself, uh, that we follow Jesus Christ. And so uh, I, the last thing, and I noticed this especially not just in my context in terms of like the United States or the South or my particular kind of uh, denom Christian denomination, but really kind of broader was that truth became uh, able to be manipulated uh, for political and social causes, uh, whether on the left or the right. And that's just completely anti-gospel. It's very anti-Christian. 
um, that we don't use truth to manipulate and to force people to do our will or to follow or to vote for a particular candidate or a a particular issue is that we are to promote truth in all aspects of our life because we're representing God himself. And so Mm -hmm. I say all that to say is that we need to be very careful about the things that we share online, the things that we read online. Uh, because those things are often not only put up to inform us, but to also form us, not to just inform, but also to form us uh, in a particular way. And so I say that technology alters the way that we view God. It alters the way we view ourselves, and it alters the way we see the world around us. And so the things that we're exposed to do form and shape us. And I, I'm pretty I'm pretty open in that chapter of kind of opening up, talking about how I became an unwitting conspiracy theorist. Um, when I read something online, I, it looked and seemed legit. I shared it with my wife. She was on the phone with her parents. She shared it with her parents. The next thing you know. Two or three minutes later, I realized it was a complete and total sham, a fake story, and I unwittingly became a conspiracy theorist. And I had to go back, apologize to my in-laws, apologize to my wife and say this wasn't true, but it seemed true. It seemed true, especially in that moment, because it seemed convenient. It aligned with my prior assumptions, my presumptions about the way something was happening in our society. And so – We just need to be aware. We need to be wise about the way that we approach a lot of these issues and realizing that just because, you know, this is the thing they always teach you in school, just because something's online doesn't mean it's true. But when we start to see it, maybe from a major news source, we just assume there's a level of trust there. We assume it must be true. Reality is we can't. One, because we might not have the context because of the speed in which something comes out. We don't have full details or maybe someone's manipulating this for a particular purpose or a particular political cause, for example. And so I think that's, again, Christians in an age that's causing us to go faster, faster, faster. We need to slow down and ask some of the hard questions and realize we don't have to tweet or share or post a video about every single thing we think. It was really funny, and maybe this was the same in Canada as it was in the United States. It was shocking to me how many people online were epidemiologists one day. The next day, they were foreign policy experts. The next day, they were lawyers. The next day, they were medical doctors. The next day, they were X, Y, and Z. And you're like, how do you have that one, have that many opinions? Maybe everyone has opinions, but I don't have to share them with everybody. (laughs) But you surely aren't an expert in all of these issues, but you feel the need Going back to what Joel said about the design, you feel the need to share your unformed thoughts with the world around you. And there's a host of issues that come along with that, uh, that I think Christians just need to be aware of the things we're sharing, the things we're uh, in taking, because they are forming and shaping our perception of reality. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, you know, the conversation of like pursuing truth. And especially as someone who like works in technology as a Christian, you know, I'm always thinking about how do we advocate for Christians to be involved in technology and make truth a metric that is more optimized in technology rather than speed or these other metrics that maybe the people who are developing it today aren't considering. And I think there's like an interesting analogy um, I could bring up, you know, when we first invented as a technology paper paper bills um, to transfer money, uh, there quickly became a very pervasive counterfeiting operation. People will very be like, well, I can make copies of this. And, you know, today this is happening at an even faster speed with like deep fakes and stuff like that. But 
when, you know, back back to the concept of building on top of existing technologies, when the US government realized that like, hey, we have this huge fake or disinformation problem with fake bills, um, they put a lot of effort into, okay, what technology could we implement to, to prevent that with, you know, like special inks or special reflective chemicals? Like, I think there's a copper reflective um, note uh, or element in the $100 bill in the US. So do you think that, you know, we'll be able to maybe lean back to the other side and say, hey, now we want to prioritize truth as a, yeah. another, you know, improvement so that people can doctor deep fakes as well, because there isn't a, a certificate of authenticity assigned to it. And that whoever is propagating this media will start displaying that as a way for people to know, hey, this is true or not, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of pieces that have to fall into place. But do you see something like that happening? And how does this relate to, you know, the despair that Christians might feel when they start thinking about maybe not considering like, you know, the entirety of technology over the past millennia. Yeah. There's, there's a lot there to unpack. And I'm glad you brought up like kind of the concept of deep fakes. That was a a section of the chapter I wanted to make sure to include because many, many listeners may have no idea what a deep fake is. Um, It's essentially a video, often video, sometimes audio as well, where people are made to say and do things that they never did. Um, I use an example of the Queen of England um, seemingly giving her her, um, her Christmas address, and it's not her. It's actually done by Channel 4 in the UK, and they do an entire kind of spoof, and she's like on the da- table dancing and singing and doing all this fun, funny stuff, but it looks just like her. Um, obviously, the queen at her age is not able to move like that. Um, but I say all that to say is that deep fake, there's a lot of education going on about the the reality of doctored and fake videos that are coming out. Um, but there's also a immense challenge to authenticate them. And sometimes the uh, technologies to develop them are outpacing the technologies to authenticate them. Um, and so there's some really interesting parallels there. Um but it, it reminds me of a quote, and I think I say it, there's a couple of times I remember my editor told me I used it in too many chapters, so I had to cut it out in a couple. Um, but it's a quote by the Canadian philosopher George Grant. Um, and Grant's kind of a rebel. He's kind of a radical. So if you go and read the rest of Grant, you may go, oh, I don't really agree with half of this. Uh, that's OK. Sometimes we have to read people we disagree with, and they still have certain truths that kind of shape us in uh, particular ways and open our eyes. And one of the things Grant says early on in a book called Technology and Justice He says that we often feel that we need to um, use more technologies to solve the very problems that technology itself created. Um, So we have all these advancements. Technology never comes in all good or all bad. There's often massive and great and good benefits and opportunities. But alongside that, for every good, there's often sometimes even multiple bad things that come along with that or evils that come along with it. Um, And so we often think, well, we just need more technology to solve that. And what he's illustrating is that we just perpetuate the problem in some sense. That doesn't mean we go back to an analog age like there's this nostalgic time in the past where everything was great because it wasn't. Um, And that's kind of, again, reality of living in this technological society uh, that we live in is that there wasn't kind of a perfect age. We all had our diff- we all had issues and we all had kind of proclivities and sins and uh, vices of our age. Um, and part of that to navigate that is just to understand where we are. Um, but I think it comes down to one of the big questions is to say, well, if we just prioritize truth, that sounds really great until you start engaging with people who have very different understandings of truth. Um, meaning 
you know, and uh, we don't have to get into the weeds on this, but even just terms of sexuality issues, there are various beliefs throughout the kind of the Western democracies um, and, and the, or not only in the United States and Canada and others, but even kind of throughout Western Europe and even through the rest of the world about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a male or a female? Just at that basic biological level, we have vastly different understandings. And that's just to illustrate the point that we don't operate as a society, not only just as a, a, a democracy here in America or in Canada or others, um, but even kind of worldwide. We operate under very different understandings of reality. And often, even within our context, the church has a different understanding of reality than the synagogue or the synagogue and the Baha'i temple and the temple versus the um, the mosque or get outside of a religious context and more secularized kind of – we operate – we don't have a shared understanding of truth. Um, that's something that's very much fragmented in our age today. Um, and so – Yes, I want platforms and I want technology companies and I want governments to pursue truth, but my truth is what I believe is the truth is not always received by all people. Um, and so that's where it becomes a little difficult, and that's what I try to unpack in the midst of that chapter is to say one of the reasons that we're in the midst of this kind of misinformation, conspiracy theory, fake news is not just because of the technology but also because of some of these philosophical and cultural shifts that you may or may not be aware of that have kind of formed you and shaped you in the way you understand the world going from a very – what many will say is a transcendent or a God-centered perspective that there's something out there and above and outside of the world versus what other people will say is an imminent view of the world, which is simply just kind of what's natural and what's around us. There isn't anything spiritual outside of this. Well, as Christians, we very much believe that God is transcendent. He's outside of this world. He's outside of time. And so we operate under different understandings of truth, and if that's the case – Naturally, we're going to start to butt heads, and so you see this in polarization. You see this in misinformation and conspiracy theories. And we also see in the way that even things are curated and forming us in particular ways. Um, and so as Christians, we do believe in the way, the truth, and life, as we said earlier. And so I think that's important for us is to say, no, there is a unified reality. There are certain facts, not only biological facts, natural facts. God has spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Um, and so when we're navigating these questions with our neighbors, again, it comes down to how are we going to love God and how are we going to love our neighbors ourselves, And what do we do with that in the midst of a digital age? And that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. It's There's this tremendous responsibility. I, you, you focus on it to navigate these waters well. It's It's not just that the waters are turbulent, the the wind is strong, the waves are high. It's that we have an oar, so to speak, to continue the metaphor. We we choose where we're going. We need to navigate this well. And I appreciate how you emphasize that. Uh, you quote Ecclesiastes 9.17. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. And that like just kind of sat with me for a bit. It was like one of those moments where you put the book down and you're mm -hmm. like, hmm, what what do I listen to? What what mm. ends up in my earbuds or in my newsfeed? I, I guess just riffing off of that, what what is so important about Christians taking responsibility for even what they click, how they scroll, what they yeah. linger on? 
Why is that so important to you? It, it goes back to that first chapter where we're talking about what is technology. And so there are two primary views. We've already talked about them a little bit as kind of this larger kind of technology is uh, part of a culture in which we inhabit. So it's not just the machines. It's not just the devices. I'm just not just not my iPhone. It's not an isolated tool. Um, the problem with that view, if you take it too far, which I think Jackie Lewell does, um, if you take it too far, you can see us as like powerless pawns that we're just there. We're just going with the flow. We have no real agency. We have no real responsibility. Um, it's it's everyone else's problem. It's the technology companies. It's the government. It's these people, those people over there. It's these other people. It's that political party or what have you. They're the problem. And what that does is it, it denigrates who we are as human beings, that we are moral agents, that we are responsible, uh, that we have agency in the midst of what we do and what we say and what we click on and the things that we're exposed to. So we have a responsibility there. On the flip side, that more tool-based approach, the good parts of that is that it does emphasize agency and accountability and responsibility, but it fails to see that technology isn't just an isolated tool. It's actually something bigger. So what I try to do in that first chapter and carry that on throughout the rest of the chapters is to say a Christian approach to technology is not a tool, nor is it some like deterministic force, kind of uh, unwitting, like we're powerless pawns. A Christian view takes the best of both worlds, brings them together and says, no, you are a moral agent. God has created you as an image bearer. You are uniquely made. You are a unique creature in the rest of the uh, in the rest of the world. God has given you, uh, man or woman, as a, as dominion over uh, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the work of the ground. Like God has created us that way. At the same respect. You, there are larger cultural forces around you that are shaping you sometimes that you don't even realize. Um, mo and I think one of the primary disciplers of people today, specifically in the church, is actually our our smartphones, our technologies, our um, social media, email communication. So it's not just one thing. It's actually much broader than that. But I think technology is one of the primary disciplers of our people today, which is also one of the reasons I wrote the, the afterword or the appendix, which is a note to leaders. So this book is written for the everyday believer. Um, I hope that it accomplished that. It's supposed to be accessible. I wanted everyone to be able to pick it up and read it without getting into you know, the philosophical or the technological jargon. And when I do use those words, I try to explain what I mean by them because I think that's important. Um, but I use that last section to tell to talk to leaders specifically because we leaders have kind of a unique challenge in the digital age is that often, especially church leaders, um, when we're seeking the discipleship, when we're seeking to help gr people grow in their relationship with Christ and with the church, um, we may see people it, at most five or six hours a week, maybe. Um, and then if you add on top of that, the time that they're personally involved in God's word and serving and small groups and things like that, most people may experience 10 to 15 hours a week, maybe. And that's pretty high. I mean, that's being pretty, uh, uh, pretty generous in that sense. But what's around us all the time? Our smartphones. 24 hours a day, often seven days a week, always with us, always and even to the point where we start to feel a little uneasy when we set our phone down and don't know where it is. Like, oh, where's my phone? I've got to go find my phone. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Well, guess what? Why the reason you feel that way is because of the culture in which in which you inhabit 
and the ways you've been formed by that culture and by these technologies to feel like you're always missing something, that something's happening and you don't know about it. That's actually one of the subtle ways that technology has shaped and formed you. So with saying all of that is just kind of understanding the culture in which we inhabit and also the responsibility that we have as image bearers, as human beings, uh, that we have willpower. We have the ability to put down our phones, to get off of social media, to delete those apps, to set time limits or habits or do something. Um, in order to kind of shape and that we're not, it's not just in there. I think there are legitimate conversations that need to be had about the technology industry, about governments and their role and kind of the digital public square. Uh, but this book, I'm really hard, kind of honing in on that fact that no, you Christian also have a responsibility, um, a responsibility for your soul and the souls that have been entrusted to you uh, to help form them to go therefore and make disciples. And again, what does it mean to make a disciple? What it means to love God and teach them to love God and to love their neighbors or self. That focusing outside of ourselves is actually one of the ways that we can be very countercultural in a culture that's very kind of individualistic and inward focus. The Christian ethic actually calls us outside of ourselves to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. And I think that's one of the ways that we can navigate some of these pressing challenges today. I did want to ask one question on that call to action for Christians, um, you know, considering how impactful it, technology is in discipling us. Do you think we as Christians are not stepping up in creating technology of the future um, as a whole? I think it's both and. And so the thing that I, I've noticed, especially as I've worked in kind of the technology ethics field for a very long time now um, as I've met countless believers doing incredible God-centered, kingdom-focused work um, in the technology industry. And so I think it's easy sometimes for Christians to kind of throw rocks at the technology industry and act like it's those people over there, not realizing that the very body of Christ that I'm a part of, there are actually other believers working in these areas. And so in no way, shape, or form do I ever want to say that their work doesn't matter or somehow their work is inherently flawed or something like that. Not at all. But as to say, there are unique challenges that I think developers and technologists face. And as they're de designing these tools, and my hope is that not only they would design better tools, um, you know, more convenient, new kind of innovations and things like that, but also to be thoughtful about the ways that those tools are being designed and the and how they're encouraging people to use them. Um, because you can say like social media, if you go to Facebook or Twitter, or et cetera, it's like, what's happening? What's on your mind? Like it's encouraging, it's prompting you to do something. Well, we have to be very thoughtful about not only the ways we use technology and the ways we engage these technologies and the ways that they shape and form us, but even as those who are creating these tools about how are you creating them to what end and what purpose and what goal do you want people to, how do you want them to use, utilize these technologies? And so I think it's, I would say I, I call if anyone has interest in technology or they feel like they want to be a computer scientist or a developer or a technologist or work in any of this kind of any of the industry as a whole, um, I very much encourage that. That's amazing. That's God honoring work. You should do those things. Uh, not everybody. I think often when we think of being called to ministry, we often just think of ministry in the sense of vocational ministry. And I think that's kind of a detriment of the way we think about work and the way we think about the church is that there isn't these secular, secular and sacred callings as if being a pastor is the highest calling. It's a great calling. It's a, a calling of high honor, but the majority of us aren't. 
the majority of us are called to live out and to love God and love our neighbors ourselves in the midst of our day-to-day job, our nine to five, defining technology, driving a truck, doing being a plumber or an artist, a doctor, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can do God honoring, glorifying work. We just have to be thoughtful about it and to step back and again to ask some of those big questions about what is it, you know, what is it? What is technology? How is it forming us? How is it shaping our view of God, ourselves, and the world around us? And to do that, I think, is very countercultural because it's going to, again, push us outside of ourselves to think about others and the dignity and value and worth of other people above what we want and what we desire. Awesome. That's so helpful. Everybody should be asking themselves those kinds of questions. Um, I have a rapid fire set of questions for you. We'll Shoot. see if you can answer as short as possible. First off, what's currently growing in your backyard garden? Uh, we have tomatoes, basil, and some very tiny squash plants that don't be, they're not doing very well right now. Fair enough. What's your favorite thing about Twitter? I like meeting new people. I just, I, I've been able to meet new people and to engage in people and to, then you meet them in real life and it's really cool because you've been following each other and kind of being exposed to new ideas. Mm-hmm. What's your least favorite thing about Twitter? Twitter. Uh, it's just, it's very toxic. Um, it can become very overwhelming, very discouraging at times, a lot of the infighting and polarization stuff like that. So it's, it's Twitter's good and bad at the same time. Yeah. Out of the hundred plus podcast episodes you've done, can you pick a favorite? That's really hard to do. I know, uh, mainly because I don't want to offend people. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, some of them about the nature of ethics. I think actually ethics is, that's my passion. I'm a, I'm a moral philosopher and ethicist by training. Um, and I don't see ethics as something secondary to the Christian life. I think it's pretty primary. So a lot of the episodes that we've done on ethics, what is ethics? How does it shape and form uh, the, the Christian life? Um, those have been a lot of my favorite episodes. Cool. What's three books you'd recommend other than your own two books? For sure. Um, I would say you can read most things by Neil Postman, like Amusing Ourselves to Death or Technopoly. Those are both really helpful books. Um, I would say Jacques Ellul, but I think most people, when they go to pick up his book, are going to be like, are you kidding me? Because it's like 900 pages and super dense. Um, but that's why I try to make him a little bit more accessible in my books. Um, I also think... You know, I hadn't thought about this, so it's probably I'm kind of looking around my room in some sense. Um, I would read almost anything by Herman Bovink. He's a Dutch reform theologian and ethicist. Um, he's been very helpful and influential. Um, and then obviously you have to say the Bible is a Christian. But no, I mean, seriously, like just deep having deep uh, kind of dwelling on scripture has been really helpful. So that's something I'm doing right now in terms of uh, the book of Proverbs and just spending a lot of time soaking and thinking about the nature of wisdom and how God calls us to act in the world today. Cool. You've been very generous. Last question. If a Christian reflects on their habits of using technology right now, they're feeling conviction. They're feeling that, that sense of conviction. What should they do now? Talk about it with somebody else. Um, And the reason I say that is that it's very easy for us to, in an individualistic world, to think that we can tackle these things on our own, Um, not just in the sense of confession, but also not even just the sense of accountability, but just talking about these things with other people. Um, God can use that. The Holy Spirit can use that to convict them and to shape it and for you to start form better habits, whether it's telling your wife or your husband you know, this has been a struggle of mine. I'm spending too much time here help and limb helping keep you accountable 
or just saying, hey, we're going to have a no phone dinner. We're going to go out and we're not going to have our, I went on vacation a couple weeks ago and didn't wear my Apple watch at all. And I left my phone in the house most of the time. Um, and so having those kind of periods of disconnection, it's easier to do with other people than it is by yourself because um, it's easy to kind of fool yourself or to tempt yourself into thinking you, uh, you need that right now or you have to check out what's going on. So I'd say talk to somebody else. Um, they're probably feeling the same way you are and uh, do it together. Wow, that's great. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure to hear from you today, Jason. I'm very glad we were connected. Yeah, this has been a really fun conversation. I appreciate you guys having me. And thanks for this podcast. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thanks to our listeners for listening to WWJT. You can get a link to the book in the show notes. Uh, a link to some of the other books as well will be in the show notes as well. Um, and yeah, hope you uh, can use tech well. Glorify God, love your neighbor, make disciples. I'm Andrew. And I'm Joel. <laughs> Take care.